0: And to connect with your soul. Because when you take care of you, your results will take care of themselves. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Inflow with Soul. My name is Dr. Mary Maduna Gross, and today you are going to love this conversation with Nancy Zare. Nancy is a psychologist and a strategist who works with entrepreneurs and small business owners who want more business. For those of us who feel anxious about sales conversations, she helps us feel comfortable, poised, and able to converse with confidence so that we can get new clients. Nancy, thank you so much for for making time for this conversation today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Mary. I can't wait to obviously talk with you and share this with your audience.
0: This, this is exciting, so we always start though before we get into the content right and and the the material that you are the expert in, tell us a little bit about your journey of becoming an entrepreneur. How long have you been doing this? What led you here?
1: I think that entrepreneurial spirit was awakened about the age of five, which is when I went door to door selling peanuts for the uh a charity okay and I did that to raise money for you know a charitable effort and of course a cute little five-year-old selling something or other door-to-door was fairly well received I don't know that I experienced or was afraid of the rejection and Mm -hmm. you know um obviously had my parents blessings and you know what I got that sense of it was a kick I have to tell you, it was an adrenaline rush, right? You know, as I was successful. So I think that's when it started, that sense of uh, wanting to be independent and kind of talk with people and so forth. Okay, But I also want to share with you because I think yeah, this really. is important, that I never wanted to do sales. I thought sales was manipulative. So I'm telling this little story, which I haven't actually shared before with people about my you know going door to door and selling things. But I actually thought sales was manipulative. And so I never wanted to grow up and be a salesperson. But so as wait, a kid,
0: what? it was a kick. Right, right. So then at what point did you... Because at five, I don't know, did you really know that you were doing sales or did you just think that you were you know pushing good the that's a very good question because it was linked to a
1: charity it was linked to raising money for a charitable cause and you already can tell that my heart is open to helping humanity and mm-hmm. if there was a charitable need and my parents of course supported that cause you know of course, I threw myself wholeheartedly into it so right. you're right I don't know that I saw it as as sales because it wasn't making money for me it wasn't that I got some sort of you know toy or something as a result of this effort? I I, I had that feeling goodness,
0: the doing goodness feeling, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So then, at what point did you decide that sales was sleazy? Well, we had
1: a. a friend of the family and that was his main that was his business he was in sales and for some reason either may, maybe my parents talking later Or I got the impression that sales was manipulative. You know, again, my parents reacted negatively to salespeople. You know, they immediately had their guard up, you know, when they were going to buy something or there was this feeling you were going to get taken advantage of, that you might get swindled, manipulated. I think it was coming from that sense and maybe a lack of respect for that friend of the family whose main livelihood was sales. Like somehow Uncle Gene was uh, uh, less than because he had this sales position.
0: Interesting. I don't know. And, and, and not uncommon, right? You know, I still hear jokes about sleazy salespeople and, you know, most of the time it's, it's in, in jest, but there's always a kernel of truth. Right? Well, that's Even, any
1: joke has a kernel of truth, right? Yeah. That's what, why, you know, but you phrased it in such a way that people maybe laugh as opposed to say, ah, you know, uh, yeah. and get, uh, get upset by it. But I'm also thinking too, of a play that was prob- probably popular in my childhood about Willie Loman and Willie mm-hmm. Loman was a salesperson and listen to the last name Loman. Yeah. Okay. So, it was wow. all yeah. about a loser about a guy who was just, you know, shuffling through life and dull and wasn't making a living, but he was in sales. And and again, it was a negative, you know, correlation between doing that work and somehow the character of the person. I
0: don't know. This is fascinating. I I guess I haven't ever really thought about like, where do we get these ideas about the sleazy salesperson? Um, But... You know, you and I don't know each other that well. We've met yes. a few times, but we're having this conversation as if we're totally on the same page with this. Your <laughs> experience is very different than my experience, and yet we're we we got the same message somehow. And I'm sure yes. the listeners have gotten the same message that somehow salespeople are less than. Well, perhaps we got that message because we grew up in an environment
1: where there were different values and different standards, because I'm thinking that if I grew up in the home of Uncle Gene, who was actually a successful salesman, he supported his family very well. He was congenial. He was a um, I, you know, and that which is by the way, some of the best salespeople are sales consultants, they're not there to manipulate and influence you in a negative direction, they're really there to support you in choosing the best opportunity, product, service that fits your needs. And Uncle Gene, I am sure, was like that, and yet for whatever reason, you know, because my dad didn't do that, you know, and, and what's interesting, and I'm thinking about it and I'm talking about stuff I've never shared before. My mom actually did sales in a a, a department store. She was you know, I think she sold various items in department stores, you know, as a secondary job to bring in income for the family. She was probably on salary and not on commission, which Mm -hmm. obviously makes a difference. So again, maybe therefore that sleaze factor was like set aside. I don't know. But we didn't have that much experience doing selling. But mm-hmm. let me share with you, Mary, because I think it's important. Many people, I looked up the definition of sales. Okay. Turns out there are many definitions. Of course, we think of exchanging money for a product or service, and that equals a sale. But it turns out that um, sales also, at, Means to influence. Right. So it doesn't mean to influence negatively. It means to influence. And think about the fact that we communicate all the time with the right. intent to influence the other person. Exactly. You're influencing your child to do good behavior, you're influencing your partner or spouse to enjoy the same, you know, entertainment or whatever it is you're going to do together. We are influencing people all the time and not for money. Right. 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 So as soon as I understood that later in life, when I actually took a position in which I was selling, Mm -hmm. that made all the difference in the world to understand that it was to influence and not again, not to manipulate, not to paint somebody into a corner.
0: Right. Okay. So you're growing up with these, um, you're being conditioned to have some ideas about uh, sales as being somewhat sleazy and and underhanded, um, but you're not in. You're not jumping into a sales career. Absolutely not. What are you? Like I studied psychology.
1: I wanted okay. to help people, you know? I wanted to give of myself. Um and I it turned out that I was um, selected by the National Institute of Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, received a, a full tuition scholarship to get my master's degree in this field of helping people and creating employee assistance programs, which were specifically to help people with addiction or mental health or other severe problems that were impacting negatively their job performance to help them. And so I got trained to deliver this service. And after getting that degree, I I was employed, accepted a position in which I was marketing and selling employee assistance services. Well, I didn't know anything about sales. I didn't know how to do it. So I had to go back to school, not to get a degree, but to go to the library and begin to learn about selling. Because again, I had all these prejudices and false notions about what selling was all about. And my favorite clients to work with also come with these prejudices and these biases. And in fact, they actually say, I hate to sell uh, they don't think of themselves as selling, but I, you, you know what? What drives me, what motivates to help my clients so much, is that they have these gifts. They're talented. They're skilled. They're degree. They're licensed. They've gone to school. They've studied, etc. And they have this gift to share with people. Yes. However, if they don't get a client, they don't get to share the gift, and. They deprive themselves of a livelihood, they hurt their families, and even more importantly, they're hurting society because they're not sharing that gift. And that is what motivates me, drives me to want to help people learn
0: this the skill of selling without being salesy. I, I love the point that you're making here that, you know, as entrepreneurs... I don't know anyone and and, um, there's probably people out there that just want to do sales. Like that's, that's their gift. That's what they want to do. But, but my question is one, I wonder what they're selling because most of us don't go into sales. We go into, as you were saying, I go in, I'm going into psychology because I want to help people. So we are pursuing a path of, of how we can contribute to other people. We're, um, developing our skill sets in that area. We're getting really good at it. And and I've kind of been thinking about this a lot recently, especially in the context of working. We talk about working on our business and working in our business. And when we're working in our business, that's when I get to do what I'm best at. I get to sit in front of the client and help them either with leadership challenges or business development challenges or whatever. That's working in my business. But when I'm working on my business now, I'm in that arena where I don't know as much. I don't know as much about sales because I haven't studied it, I haven't practiced it, I haven't gotten had hours of of feedback in uh, regarding it. It, it. It's it's a gap, and and I one of the things I just want the listeners to hear is that of course there's a gap because you have focused all of your time and energy on developing your skills so that what you're delivering, whether it's a product or a service. Is of the highest quality. But as you're saying, if it could be of the highest quality in the whole world, but if nobody gets it, what does it matter? exactly
1: exactly and this is the dilemma that many people my clients find themselves in they love to do their occupation like you say they've trained hard they've studied hard it nothing gives them more pleasure than you know to work with the people that they have obviously devoted hours to learning how to support and 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 help and yet they're not the business that they think they're in is not the business. They are in the business of marketing and selling that business because if they don't market and sell it, they won't have a business. Um, I'm I'm fond of using the quote from Mary Kay Ash that nothing happens in business until someone sells something. It's a very powerful message. Nothing happens until someone sells something. So sales is like, I've heard it's the oldest occupation, truly, because the exchange of one thing for another. uh, You know, we are are human beings who need each other. None of us can make it by ourselves. Hence, there's going to be an exchange. I give you something and you give me something in return. It's going to be an exchange. And hopefully the exchange makes each person walk away thinking, I got the better for it.
0: Right, right. You know, and and then too, like I guess one of the things I've been thinking of about myself, right? Especially as I'm making some transitions, is um, if I want to just work in my business, if I just want to practice what I have learned, then I could probably go find someone and work for them, so that all I have to do is deliver those services or that product. But if I want to do that in a way that is unique to me, then I've got to learn how to master this sales side. I got to learn how to work on my business as much as I know how to work in my business. So I would like to suggest it's a
1: myth that working for somebody else is you know, going to do it because invariably every job has aspects that we don't enjoy, right? There's a paperwork, maybe we're not great at paperwork, or there may be some outreach and networking you have to do that Again, this isn't your bailiwick. You know, so we are all self-employed. Whether an employer writes a signature at the bottom of the check or that check comes from multiple sources, we are all self-employed. Hence, you need to think strategically. You know, you, Mary, you, the listener, need to think strategically about what you're doing to enhance your employment, you know. And that means investing in your skills because whether you work for that employer or someone else, guess what? You take yourself with you. It's your skills. I, I remember um, I'm a big fan of Robert Kiyosaki. He's written Cash Flow Quadrant and Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and so forth. And he basically said, anytime you go to work, For you know, regardless, you know, you should always be thinking in terms of how does this enhance and grow my skills. You should not be taking a job just because it's going to put money, you know, bread on the table. You somehow should be thinking again strategically, how will this? opportunity give rise to, again, advancement more for me down the road. And it could be as simple as it'll open the door to meeting people or I learn about that industry or whatever it might be. Right. Good
0: point. Thank you for sharing that. So we are focusing now on that working in the business. How do I find those people who need and want what I have to offer? and that's what we're going to talk about today right okay let's let's talk about it because lead generation which
1: is finding the people that i want to work with is probably one of the biggest challenges for the person who is you know self employed who is you know looking to create a business for themselves and there are now many ways to do you know to reach out uh pre covid of course we were much more uh, heavily involved in in person networking, but there are huge numbers of, of online networking opportunities that are taking place. And of course, everybody is now, the internet is just, you know, blossoming. So that there again, how do we digitally, you know, virtually create opportunities to meet people? Well, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, all of them have billions of users. Hence, these are potential prospects if you. Know how to network. If you know how to develop relationships, whether on or offline,
0: exactly, exactly. And again, it's making those connections. And and I like what you said too about you know every um, experience that we have, especially for thinking strategically about it, is going to take us, enhance where we are, take us to the next level, and set us up for the next level that comes after that. I
1: truly truly believe this. I used to be uh, I used to teach at the college level. I was a tenured professor at actually two different universities and that meant I also advised students. See there's a part of the job you may not want to do which is, you know, you love teaching in the classroom but guess what you're going to be doing other things as well. I actually did enjoy advising students but I would always, you know, Talk to the students about, you know, why are they even in college and what are they trying to get out of it? But every course they had to take at the undergraduate level, and of course they rebel. Why do I have to take this one? Because I'm studying X, you know, but you're telling me I have to do Y and Z. Well, I have personally... Found that everything I've learned has been useful to me. Whether it's making a conversation with someone I meet who I don't know, and they're a geophysicist, and it it's like I can ask them about rock formations. Am I interested in rock formations? Not really, you know. But I have enough knowledge that I can do that, or whatever it might be the topic. So it's like, folks, be open. Don't don't close your minds thinking that oh, you know, I don't have to study this or this isn't relevant to me. There is relevancy to every experience that we have, you know, find the gold nuggets. I mean, that's what the, you know, that's what's there. They are, the diamonds are underneath our feet. Just look there. They're there.
0: I love that metaphor. And uh, in my personal life and in my business life here in, in the past couple of years, that has I have experienced that over and over and over again to know that it's not a fluke. It doesn't, it's, it's not a random kind of thing. It's one of those things I believe that um, you almost, you, you need to be looking for it, it because yes. if you're looking it's there, but you're not going to see it. You know, miracles abound all over the place when you
1: open your eyes to them. But if you walk in thinking, oh, there's no miracle here, there's nothing unusual, there's nothing I can learn, there's no relevance to me, then guess what you get? It's like the law of attraction. There won't be anything there for you. But if instead you open your eyes and open your heart and you open yourself to the opportunity and the experience, there is miracles all over the place
0: opportunities Absolutely. all over the place, right? The, the right person that you need to talk to at the right time or, or the right course that you took at the right time and all of those kinds of things, the right um, connection like this, listening to the right podcast. Uh, it's exactly what I was going to mention,
1: you know, our being together, making yes. this podcast. There you go. Yeah.
0: It's all available to us. So you made a huge shift. And again, before we get into your area of expertise, you've made a shift from that. You had that experience as a five-year-old where you enjoyed doing good for others. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Then you had this idea that sales uh, is sleazy. And then you had to do sales yourself. And so you dug into sales. What did you learn in that process as you were studying sales that helped you shift? Because I'm assuming now you don't believe sales is sleazy. Yeah, of course I don't. Right,
1: right. You know, I'm into relationship, you know, consultative sales, etc., which I think is very much, uh, you know, where people are aligned more and more. But I still am surprised, Mary, to find out how many sales trainers out there still practice the, you know, bang them hard and paint them in a corner and ask the right questions and answer their objections so that they have to buy, (laughs) So, at any rate, what happened to me? I mentioned that I took this position where it's marketing and selling, and I didn't know how to sell, or I had this. Prejudice, you know, and I think what happened is I was I was probably overly aggressive. I wanted every sale, right? I'm a go getter. I'm, I'm an achiever, etc. Well, it, for those of us who know that person who's been in your face, excited and enthused, and you've got to try this elixir and this potion, and it's going to be magic, then you know what I'm talking about. You just want to you glaze over, you tune out. You you don't you want to get rid of that person, and I don't know if I was that obnoxious but possibly I was in some people's eyes. At any rate, I went. To learn more about sales, I listened to um, recordings of, you know, folks who, and some of the masters even personally went to conferences and heard people speak, read books. And I came across the fact that my own knowledge of psychology would help me. Because, you know, I for whatever reason, you know, you just kind of, I don't know, it was I compartmentalized it and didn't really think about it. Well, hmm. I knew from psychology that there are four personality styles. Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, he was the first one who identified the fact that there were four distinct ways that people showed up and that he had to treat them medically. And when he treated them medically, it with both their physical bodies, but also psychologically, their mental state. So sometimes it was a combination of both or one or the other. Four different ways people are literally biologically hardwired because we've now found research that shows that there's different biochemicals that kind of are in in excess in the the four types. And so there really are these unique differences. Well, when I put into practice and I shifted my approach, now based upon four ways people make buying decision, I call them four buying styles. My sales quadrupled in 90 days. Really? So this was exciting, which is the reason why I started my business, because I wanted to share it with others. So that desire, again, to do good and to give it away rather than keep it to myself is, you know, I guess a mainstay of who I am. And so, you know, I started my business uh, nine, it's been over nine years ago that I I started this business. I call the system that I use a likeability. That's like with an A in front of it, a likeability. Because you want the prospect to feel we're alike. Mm -hmm. If they think or sense or feel we're alike, wonderful things happen. They relax because you get me, we're alike, right? Right. This allows trust to build because they're more relaxed, You're also going to feel more relaxed if they're relaxed, right? Right. Um, And so your confidence will be higher. But then sales resistance. I mentioned that sales resistance. My parents had it whenever they had to make a purchase. Well, everybody has sales resistance. When you go to a store and the clerk approaches with the famous phrase, may I help you, we have a knee-jerk reaction that says, no, I'm just looking. Because we love to buy, but we hate to be sold, Right. So we had that knee-jerk reaction. So sales resistance will drop. So trust is high, sales resistance is low, and that opens the door to doing business together. Right. And And I have found that when I adjust my communication to match the prospect's buying style, it's not changing me. I I haven't changed. My message isn't changing. The words I use to deliver the message or the approach I use to deliver the message has shifted and been adjusted to match the style of the recipient.
0: And that has made all the difference in the world. Okay. So you got my curiosity here. Because, you know, who doesn't want to have, I mean, I'll speak for myself, I want to have these sales conversations where it doesn't feel like I'm trying to, because I'm not trying to sell you something, I'm trying to help you solve a problem. And I have resources that have have been proven to solve that problem for many other people. So I'm curious in my conversations, would this solution also help you solve your problem? But what I'm thinking about, and I'm going to hear more about your system here, is how do I know who I'm sitting in front of? Because I, they don't come with their own little uh, personality profile. So how do I how do I do this? Don't you wish
1: that they had a number on their head so that yes. you would know exactly? Who they are, like a label across their forehead, so you know what kind of buyer they are. Now I, I classify buyers, those so remember there are four styles. I classify them with numbers, and I use the numbers two, four, six, and eight. These numbers represent the number of contacts needed before the decision-maker can make a decision. So, our number two buyer is a very fast buyer. They take only one or two contacts in order to say yes. They're quick. They're decisive. They want it off their plate. They don't mess around. They're results-oriented. They love the finer things in life, et cetera, and off they go. I usually call them one and done When I'm talking to my clients, because if you don't ask on the very first meeting, would you like to work with me? Chances are they're off doing something else with someone else. So you've got to pin them down the first meeting. Now, if you do that with the other four, the other three buyers, oh, my God, fireworks, you will not succeed. So Remember, you've got to know who you're dealing with. Then we've got a number four buyer. This number four buyer is relationship-oriented. Remember, the number represents number of contacts before this person can make up their minds. Well, they need two or three contacts plus one. So if you add one to two to three, that's where you get four. Okay, so the two to three contacts, what's going on? They need more than that get it off my plate. I want to get it done. They want a relationship with you. They want a connection. They want a friendship. And friendship is going to take a few meetings in order to feel like, wow, you we, we're friends now. The right. plus one is important, however, Mary, because this is the person who gets cold feet. After they've said yes, they then go back and they reflect gee was it just a transaction or is this truly a relationship and so that's why the plus one within 24 hours one more contact is needed to make sure this person knows i care about you not just that we made a sale and then we've got the number six buyer This person is very safe and secure. They want to vet you through the Better Business Bureau or the Yelp directory or wherever it is they can get information from colleagues, from friends. Have you used the service? Who's this person? Are they reputable? Now, they take about six or seven contacts to make up their mind. 70% of sales are made after the seventh contact. So this is actually your average buyer. Your average buyer is collecting information on your professionalism, your organization, whether this is a safe, secure, and sound decision. And then we've got your number eight buyer. The number eight takes eight, 10, 12, 20 contacts or more to say yes. They are taking a deep nosedive into the subject area. They are getting your PhD, Mary, before they can hire you to do leadership effectiveness. They want to know everything about leadership effectiveness. So you want to give them books. You want to give them articles. You want to help educate them because they can't say yes to you until they think you are an expert. And so knowing whether a buyer is fast, intermediate, or slow is going to make a huge difference in what you need to say and how you follow up. With the number two buyer, there's no follow-up because I told you it's one and done. This person, if they don't buy that first time, They are elusive. They're like butterflies. You will never catch them because they're flitting off to some other activity. Your number four buyer, you want to follow up heart to heart. You want that friendship. You want to talk about who you are and who they are and ask about the family and know what's going on in their personal lives because this is where they're going to feel a connection to you. They're buying a friendship. Your number six buyer is going to need social testimony. So you want to refer them to other other clients who've used your service. You want to show them reviews or testimonials that you've published, you know, perhaps on your website or wherever. Mm-hmm. And your number eight, as I mentioned, you're going to feed them information. So again, different kinds of follow-up, different kinds of messaging. And yet remember that your overall message actually is the same. It's just the words you're using and the approach you take will be different.
0: Right. I think this really goes nicely with the uh, system that I use. Uh, we call it the market dominating position, where we talk, we, we identify, work with my clients to identify what is that problem that you help your clients or your prospects solve. What are the benefits that they get on the other end of their their problem being solved, and then what is the information that they need in that gap between what the problem that they're experiencing now, the benefits that they want what How do I help them fill that gap so that they are they feel like they're making the most informed decision they can make? And I think the system that you've just outlined is really helping us know um, uh, how the person sitting in front of us is taking in that information, how much information they need in order to be able to feel like they're making the best decisions that they can for themselves in their business. Exactly. Exactly. So, with the number
1: two buyer, you don't want to give them details. They're not looking for details. They want a bottom line. And so, they want to know that 52% of people did this and that or the next thing. That's it. They just, you know, they don't want to know how you got the 52%. They're not interested in the science. You know, don't bore them with all that information. Just say to them, hey, this is what we can do. Shall we get started? And, 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 it, and there they go, you know. And again, you don't want to give facts and figures to your number four because they want to know you. They want to right. know you personally. They want to feel connected to you before they can talk about what it is you're going to do for them. You know, right. um, your number six is, again, looking for very specific information. They want safety and security. Hence, they need to know who else has used your service, you know, before they can feel comfortable,
0: you know, uh, about it. Right. So. When you're working with your, your clients, then how do you help them identify who they're sitting in front of?
1: Yeah, I do that within a quick minute because the quicker you have a, a guess, a hypothesis as to what the person's style is, the quicker you can adjust what you're going to say. And so there are six factors that I teach my clients to look for. The first is vocal qualities because a lot of times we are talking to people like they call us up or whatever, you know, and so the, the voice will tell you. There are people who speak fast or slow, have inflection, you know, whatever whatever, to speak in full sentences, you know, just blah, 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 bullet points. All of these tell you what their vocal, what their style is through their vocal qualities. Second is how they dress, you know, whether they, you know, what colors they use, do they use patterns, do they have jewelry or makeup or, um, you know, cufflinks or high heels, all of these will tell you what kind of buyer they are. And, you know, as I share this with you, Mary, it's so important for you and others to realize that we take in this information all the time, but Mm -hmm. we don't know what to do with this information you're aware that the person you're speaking with you know is wearing a particular color or that they have a suit jacket or that they have the collar buttoned up to their throat but you don't know what that means and that's so i provide the secret decoder ring so you can figure out what it means okay and it's 85 90 percent you know uh, accurate. And then um, the third factor so we talked about voice, we talked about dress. The third factor would be behavior. You know, do they look you in the eyes? Do they shake your hand? Not whatever. There are many cues behaviorally that tell you. The fourth is um, their correspondence. And here you can actually look at what, what words they use, how they write. Again, do they write in complete paragraphs? Do they give you a list of items? Or do they give you a lot of information or it's very short? All of these will tell you about their style. And then that leads us to social media because social media is both looking at what people write as well as their pictures of themselves or others. And that, too, is another way to detect. And the last one, and thanks to Zoom, many of us are able to look inside people's offices and homes and see how they're decorated. Uh, and again, are there things on the wall? Nothing on the wall? Do they have um, a messy desk? <laughs> Do You know, is everything in order? I mean, all of this tells you about the style. Interesting. There's so much to take
0: in. Uh, We're taking
1: it in. We just we don't are. have categories for what it means. And right. like I say, I provide the secret
0: decoder ring. <laughs> yes, exactly. So... As a business person, then, we know what problems we're solving. We know where we get our clients to um, on the other end, the benefits to it. And then you're helping us in the middle. How do we communicate that in such a way that our prospect is able to relax with us, uh, uh, build rapport with us, and, and trust that the solution that we're offering is right for them? And to that extent, I've
1: I've written several books. Um, the book I wrote last year, Compelling Selling, actually gives you a list of words that you can use specifically that are matched with those four buying styles. So that, again, whether you're writing email uh, marketing copy or your website copy, or maybe it's just an email back to the person to answer a question, you'll know how to write that email in such a way that you'll use the words and the style that, again, makes the person say we're alike.
0: Right. Well, I'm thinking about, um, I think it, is, it would be the number six buyer, right, who who wants a little more information uh, regarding the results, maybe the testimonials. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about, maybe give us an example or two of clients that you've worked with and what they've been able to achieve using your system? Yeah.
1: The first that comes to mind is my client, June. And, um, Uh, june was prospecting using instagram which is commonly you know nowadays we are online and we're making relationships online and she seemed to hit it off with this person really well so much to the that the individual asked her for a proposal and of course june happily put together a proposal sent it to her crickets silence Mm -hmm. no response so june messaged messaged her again, no response. Third time, no response. Well, we had a coaching call, and she shared with me what had happened that week. And here's the scoop. June style was transactional. Mm. She was approaching it as the number two. Fast, quick, decisive. You want the proposal? Let's go. Her customer was the number four. Mm-hmm. who wanted the relationship and they had a great relationship until June sent the proposal at which point it became transactional and the relational part was left uh, somehow fell away mm-hmm. and it's, and so i i helped june recognize that and then we mm-hmm crafted a very quick little text message to go back to the prospect literally 5 minutes we were still on the coaching call 5 minutes later we got a text back from the prospect and she was back on board and eventually yes she made the sale so wow. that again knowing someone's style is so important to use the right language you know june felt they had the relationship but remember that number four gets cold feet they right. need the plus one and as soon as it became you know transactional that that prospect got scared it's like oh the big bad wolf here you know that sleazy salesperson is right. going to
0: you know eat me up yeah wonderful um do you have another story you would, i thought you said you had two I have, I have multiple plunder, stories, you have actually. I've <laughs> you know, I have, I have had a lot of clients. So um, a, a more recent
1: example is my client, uh, Mo. And so, Mo had worked for this particular uh, company and worked with this particular individual in the past. And during that first project, there had been delays and challenges and so forth, which were not really due to Mo, but they were due to the fact that the uh, client was giving her misinformation thinking she knew what was going on and she really didn't and so they had to backtrack and then redo things and that took more time time that hadn't been planned for or budgeted for and so it it cost mo you know and so now sure. there was an opportunity to work with this person on a second project however mo didn't want a repeat of the first event so again we looked at the personality style of the client. And Mo crafted her message based on that style so that going forward, they're now on good footing. It's There's a much clearer understanding about their working relationship. And so, yes, she was hired for the second project, but hired with a different understanding or expectation of how it would proceed. And Mo, Mo being a number four, caring about the relationship, was very concerned that if she spoke up and gave negative feedback to the prospect, the client, about the previous work situation... That she might not get the job. Right. And so again, working with that number four, but her client was actually more of a six or an eight in oh. terms of, yeah. And I said, so this is what you do. You're going to ask a question rather than make a statement. You're going to ask them, so what did you think happened during that last event? How did it go from your point of view? So by asking a question, she was those questions got. The other person to speak forward. And then Mo could say, Yeah, I experienced something similar. Here's what I propose we do to going forward. And that was how she handled it. And that's what made a difference. And and then Mo didn't have to worry about, Oh, I'm going to offend this person because the number four person is about relationships. Even as a seller, they're always about relationships. And so that's so again, knowing your own style and knowing the
0: other person's style makes a big difference absolutely Nancy this is really rich content and I am really grateful for your willingness to share this with us because I, I think most of us have that um, conditioned belief that there's something dirty about sales and uh, we just want to get to doing our our delivering our services we want to skip over the whole sales part but what you're giving us today are those uh, tools that we can authentically connect with a prospect reg- around their challenges and the solutions that we have to offer to see if it is going to be a good match. Sometimes exactly. it is, sometimes it's not. Right.
1: Yes, and you can still be helpful, and you can still you know maintain and 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 nurture a relationship, even when someone says no, you can continue to work with them over time because things have a way of changing, and if you maintain the relationship and integrity, you know right. keep keep yourself and your values, then you can be a, a resource for that person in the future,
0: yeah. And I think too, when you just what you're saying here about the values of us as that salesperson being connected to uh, to our own values. As we're going forward, that allows us to show up with confidence. You had mentioned confidence earlier in this conversation. And, and like confidence talk- is
1: a key in sales. We are really, um, what are we exchanging? Initially, we're exchanging energy. So when right. you have positive, confident energy, the other person usually loves that, soaks it up. You know, it's a very endearing quality of salespeople when you're confident. If you come across kind of you know, I don't know and uncertain, your chances for sale really go down.
0: Yes, absolutely. Because people want to work with someone who's confident that they can get to that solution that they're promising. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Nancy, before we go, tell us a little bit about how you work with your clients and then how people can connect with you.
1: So I do work with people individually. I also work with them. I have a group coaching program, and I um, I currently have a... Free training that happens every Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock Eastern time, and that's noon Pacific. Or if you're on Central time, it's two o'clock. Uh, you can obviously calculate. or You know, uh, this is a training called No Pressure Selling, and I go over the five common mistakes that salespeople are likely to make, uh, three ways to avoid coming across as salesy, and one proven method for changing no to yes, and uh, and that works over 85% of the time. Uh, So that is available for people. If you go to Eventbrite and search out Nancy Zare, you'll find uh, No Pressure Selling available and just sign up for a convenient time for you. And uh, for those who would like to perhaps read more about what I do, I'd recommend my book, Compelling Selling, which is available on my website. Uh, And uh, You can get it there or you can get it through Amazon. But if you get it through my website... You get an autographed copy. so And you also pay a little less than Amazon. And I do that as an incentive because I get to develop a relationship with you. When you buy it through Amazon, I have no relationship with you. You
0: might with me, but I don't have one with you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Nancy, again, thank you so much for sharing this uh, with us today. This is an area that many of us... um, don't like about being an entrepreneur and you're giving us tools to make that part of our job our work um authentic for us and i think that's really key so thank you so much it's my pleasure to your sales success thank you hi this is mary thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope that you are coming away feeling maybe a little inspired maybe a little more informed or maybe just rested Most of all, I hope you're coming away feeling empowered. If you do, please leave me a five-star review on iTunes. But most importantly, please pass along this sense of empowerment to your friends and to your networks. Thank you so much for your support. I appreciate you.